This week's podcast is brought to you by Massive. That's spelled M-A-S-V. The fastest way to send and receive massive video files. Send uncompressed dailies, locked pictures, TCPs, and more with Massive. Keep listening to hear how you can receive 100 gigabytes for free towards your next transfer. Good morning, Vietnam! Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! You talking to me? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Hi, ho all you boys, girls, and non-binaries out there. This is your boy Ron Dawson coming at you with another edition of your favorite filmmaking podcast that breaks all the rules, Crossing the 180, part of the Art of the Frame podcast network by Film Tools and Pro Video Coalition. Last year, I started re-watching the U.S. edition of The Office on Netflix, mainly because I never saw all the seasons in the original run. I think I only got to like season two or something like that. But man, that show is hilarious, and it stands up and holds up so well. So imagine my dismay when I found out that the show was going to be leaving Netflix as of January 1st this year. Despite my valiant efforts, I was unable to finish all the episodes before that deadline. So I had no choice but to have to shell out five whole dollars a month to subscribe to Peacock, where all nine seasons could be watched. Since I was there anyway, I figured, why not see what else is here? They actually have a pretty impressive lineup of comedies. The Office, Parks and Recreation, Superstore, SNL, and, and a bunch of others. One show that I started seeing lots of ads for, but whose title looked ridiculous, was Girls 5 Eva. It's about a group of four late 30, early 40-something women who were once part of a popular 90s girls group, Girls 5 Eva. And after one of their old songs is sampled in a popular rap song, they experience a sort of rebirth as they attempt to regain fame and prominence in a modern, social media-obsessed world. Remember these ladies? Girls 5 Eva! I just did mandatory sensitivity training. See, I air honk now. Growing. Learning. Ally. Four grown ladies trying to be pop stars again. Strap in! After hearing rave reviews about the show on the Ringer's The Watch podcast, I decided to give it a go, and I absolutely loved it. As I was watching episode 6, I noticed in the opening credits that the director of that episode was Kimmy Gatewood, and I shot up. I was like, hey, I know that name. Her press people had reached out to me for her to be a guest on my show to promote the new movie she directed for Netflix, Good on Paper. It's a rom-com written and starring Eliza Schlesinger about a stand-up comic who, after years of putting her career ahead of love, has stumbled upon someone who seems like the perfect guy on paper. But he might not be everything he appears to be. For me, the story was not about love at first sight. But you're a comedian, right? Andrea Singer. I've seen you before. And what do you do? Hedge funds. I got this Yale alumni event I have to go to. What's a Yale? Oh, Yale is a prestigious school. I'm fucking with you. Yeah, I know what Yale is. <laughs> he seemed nice, normal, like a, an accountant who loves missionary. Today on the show, we have the director of that movie, Kimmy Gatewood. Kimmy has an impressive and prolific CV as a TV writer and director. Good on Paper is her feature debut, so she has a lot to share about working in this biz. 
Joining me on the call this week is Tihana Weeks of We Make Movies. She was one of my co-hosts on the uh, Alice Brooks interview, who was the DP for In the Heights. It was rather fortuitous having Tihana join me because both her and Kimmy have experience with improv acting programs, so they geek out on that for a bit as well. And then have another great post-interview discussion with Tihana you won't want to miss. So without further ado, here's our discussion with multi-hyphenate Kimmy Gatewood. See you on the other side. I like to be able to know the thing that makes every artist tick. And so I'd like to start off with uh, what is your earliest movie memory? Oh, wow. I think uh, probably my earliest movie memory is uh, watching Singing in the Rain because I was in a dance class that we learned the choreography for Singing in the Rain. And so we watched uh, like a clip of it. I was a real little kid. And then I just watched the movie on repeat until now. <laughs> like one of those movies I can't get out of my head because I, I was also enamored by Hollywood and um, very much love uh, music, theater, dancing. That's- it's funny you mentioned that movie because when I was learning filmmaking, you know, prior to taking my film courses, most movies that I'd seen were your traditional like blockbusters or whatnot. And then once you start learning filmmaking, you start learning and watching all these other films. And I always had this idea that like oldies, like comedies from the olden age probably weren't really funny, right? And then I started watching them. And then I was like, I remember genuinely laughing when I was watching Singing in the Rain, like it was genuinely making me laugh. And I was wondering if you had a similar experience with either that or any other movie where uh, that's kind of from like the golden age of Hollywood that made me surprised. Well, you you know, Uh, first of all, like uh, the song, the song "Make Him Laugh," the the musical number. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's like you can pretty much look at my comedy and everything. It like comes from source <laughs> from that musical number. Just That's like the funny. bit with the mannequin. Like mm-hmm. I've like you know used that in theater before. Like uh, I've played a lot of clowns on on stage, mm-hmm. and uh, I love those little bits. Um, and the Marx Brothers, uh, I was also obsessed with them as well. Just like their little comedy bits, you know, they just do like these little Lotsi and like all this stuff that stems from clowning. And I found it very funny, physical humor. And I actually, when I lived in New York City, I lived there for about 10 years and I started a group called the Apple Sisters. Mm-hmm. We're a 1940s comedy radio trio. And so a lot of that is sourced from those movies. I think I just had a love for that time because it was physical humor that wasn't just like i'm a klutzy girl you know it right, was right. Like, I like yeah. very much like a smart hilarious clown bit that was circumstances that they built it might not have pushed the story forward but right. it was worth it every time yeah yeah kimmy do you have a background in theater i know you have a background in improv you just mentioned the apple sisters mm-hmm. um did you, did you do a lot of theater as uh, either a child or in high school, junior high? Yeah, I start. I mean, I, I joined the the school theater club. I played Snoopy in it. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Um, still one of my greatest roles. <laughs> 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 it's like seventh grade, you know. Right. Uh, but 
I did theater in, in middle school and, and high school, and I did the Renaissance Festival in Maryland. You know, I played Gracie Child's nanny in training. And <laughs> you're a cool kid in school. Oh, <laughs> you betcha. You know what else, Johanna? I played the trombone in the marching band. So no way. Get on board. I was cool also kid. a theater kid and in band. I was a flautist myself. So, <laughs> yes. yes, marching band, all the things. Yeah. So, we had similar school experience. Experiences. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, I asked a lot of boys to the dance. It never really happened the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have the guts. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, yeah I, I did theater. I majored in theater at Syracuse University. Awesome. Um, and uh, uh, the first play I did out of college was I did work at Syracuse Stage. I did a play called Long Day's Journey Into Night, the classic comedy, not at all, uh, about, you know, <laughs> alcoholism and uh, family problems. Um, but uh, I played the maid in that with uh, Sam Waterston from Law & Order, John Slattery, who's uh, uh, America's Silver ah. Fox, yes. uh, and uh, uh, Elizabeth Franz, who's an amazing actress as well. Uh, so I did a lot of theater. And then when I came to New York, um, I found it very hard to, you know, get into shows. <laughs> what like, was hard about it? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this business yeah. is pretty easy. I don't know what I missed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I found, uh, basically I found a very, I mean, you know, to audition and, and go to the hustle, you know, pounding the pavement, audition, audition, audition. But I just like needed to express myself which is why I joined improv and found a community of people who wrote produced performed their own stuff so I that was my outlet for expressing myself was through the comedy community yeah and uh all the while trying to do theater and uh slowly realizing I will die a poor woman if I continue theater (laughs) do you you think improv is something a person can learn or is it like a gift Oh, like it, you can absolutely learn it. It's like can. a sport. Yeah. yeah. Is it? Okay. It, it's like a sport. It's like basketball. It's like, I mean, anything. Mm-hmm. It's you just practice and mm-hmm. you like the whole process is like you just learn kind of like the basics of improv. Mm-hmm. Yes. And being the very base, basic of the basicness of improv, mm-hmm. uh, which is like you want to be in a scene with somebody who's going to uh, take your idea and add to it rather than be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, a background in improv as well and yeah you can totally learn it and most people start off and they're just like what the heck am I doing and then you learn all the rules and then you break all the rules um, that's right <laughs> um yeah but they've got some great great schools. would you did you um go to any of the big name schools second city UCB um Groundlings or anything like that so in New York, I did uh, UCB. That's where I first started. Um, What's uh, UCB for this now? The Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. Um, okay. they, uh, I went to UC they, Berkeley, so when I hear UCB, oh, yeah. that's what I think. It's a little it's bit different. different. <laughs> it's a little bit. Not going to lie, uh, yours is fancier. <laughs> I, I, we were performing in uh, old, um, like, uh, nudie homes and... <laughs> burlesque wait you got gigs? <laughs> yeah <laughs> big deal no i mean the, the ucb was a former like you know they just shoot shoot uh show dirty movies there and then they bought the theater <laughs> and then it became a comedy theater naturally right <laughs> so yeah i did ucb i did a, a company in new york called chicago city limits it's in new york despite being called chicago city limits they're short form improv so ron i'm not sure if you're familiar with the difference but 
there's like short form mm -hmm. improv which is more like whose line is it anyway mm -hmm. and long, long form improv which is more uh the chicago ucb io style uh, improv storyline Mm -hmm. yeah like we'll do uh something called a herald so yeah do you have when i think of long form improv i can't help but think of like films by michael guest or or Kirby christopher or guest christopher guest i said michael guest christopher <laughs> guest. michael Sorry. guest is his weird cousin that <laughs> right right chris guest or um or curb your enthusiasm or something like that uh do you have a favorite one of those styles um of improv or one of those uh one of those uh, names that kind of stand out for you? You mean like uh, somebody like Christopher Guest or? Just yeah, like I like the kind of, when I think about the kind of films he does where it's improv, like there is some kind of maybe through line that the actors are going with, but they're kind of improvising their way through it is my understanding. And Book favorite yeah. improvised film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Waiting for Guffman is one of the funniest things. Obviously, yeah. Spid Spinal Tap. I saw Waiting for Guffman first, and then I saw Spinal Tap. Interesting. Yeah. Um, just because, like, I, I wasn't aware of that universe quite right, yet. Right, right. But yeah, like that's that's like the the whole dream. Like, what a mm -hmm. fun set. Like, um, Paul Feig has a new show coming out on Fox that kind of embraces that. Um, really style of you know they will have the structure and things will be scripted but like there there's uh, the element of play and mm -hmm. the, all the Jed Apatow movies obviously like there's a script but then there's this element of play right yes obviously is much more uh, much more improvised but there is definitely a structure which I think I like to think about those films like documentary films because like you have to know where where it's going otherwise you're just going to have a, a mess of funny jokes or, right. or like footage which I made a documentary and we didn't go in with like a, a solid plan it, it still did fine but <laughs> right. you got you got to have a little bit of a plan but yeah that's funny when, when when I said Michael your thoughts. <laughs> when I when I said Michael guess I was thinking of Michael McKeon um hmm. Because obviously he was in Spinal Tap, and I love this is Spinal Tap. That's definitely that's up there for me. Um, as someone who's directed, you know, a lot of comedy, and you just maybe you kind of answer this. And you were saying like it's a dream to do that. Would you have any aspirations of doing something like that, where you have sort of like a loose script, but the actors kind of some kind of free reign to go where they want to go with it? Oh yeah, I mean, I would say. I mean, I did a series called Junketeers. It was a, a, a web series I did very early on. Um, and uh, we, it was, the, the setup was kind of like celebrities, the, the, the junkets, celebrity junkets, which I'm sure you guys have been to or have been on, you know? And so that was really fun because, you know, you would kind of give them a scenario um, and they would riff off of that. And it's really fun to just like pitch jokes and figure stuff out. I think it would be really fun to, you know, I've always like, always had this um, uh, the idea that I would do some kind of improvised movie around women selling Tupperware. <laughs> I don't know what it is yet, but I, <laughs> I think MLMs are coming back into uh, fashion for better or worse. And I think it would be a really fun world just to see like a large group of women uh, in that like improvised space. That would be cool for sure. <laughs> So yes, I do have aspirations of doing a movie like that. Or, I'd love to see show. it. Yeah, you <laughs> mentioned you've also you mentioned uh, your work with the Apple Sisters, um, 
And I know you've you've written a lot. I'm sure you write a lot with that group. The the stuff that you perform, you write, or at least have like a loose outline of what you're going to do. Um, do you um, write? Did you always want to do it all? Like, so you 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 act, you write, you direct. Did you always want to do it all, or was it? And you kind of mentioned this, but was it a means of uh, creating opportunities for yourself, or did you kind of go, come into the industry saying like? I kind of want to do everything, or, I, or at least I want some control over what I do or don't do. I mean, I came into the industry a uh, theater kid, so, you know, learning as an actor. So I, I thought, like, you had to kind of pick one thing, um, though I was doing comedy in college and not really calling it writing, but just doing comedy. And then when finally somebody pointed out that what I was doing was writing, <laughs> I was like, oh, I understand now. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, I'm a writer. Mm -hmm, got it. Got it. It's so stupid to think about it like that. But yeah, we, uh, I think it was out of uh, necessity and also just like not like thinking that a writer did this, like certain things this way and a director did things this way, a producer, you know, I, you kind of like thought it was this box, it was unattainable, but I was doing it the whole time. So when I finally was able to label it, I was able to kind of empower myself to pursue them uh, more actively. And I have a, another writing partner, Alison Becker. We uh, have a script called Girl World that we wrote at Amazon. And we just, so we sold our first feature together and we um, rewrote a feature. And then the Apple Sisters, we, uh, it, it basically is the thing that brought me to Los Angeles as a writer performer. And uh, yeah, I, I think I, I would definitely encourage, I mean, anyone, it's such a, a, piece, a stupid piece of advice that I heard over and over again. They're like, writers write, directors direct, actors act. Just if you're doing it, that's what you are. So just do it and don't ask for permission to be like, can I be a writer, please? Did I get, did I get up school? Did I mentor the right person? It's like, just do it and fail just do it. like nike just do it i agree um <laughs> i have a yeah i have a similar experience with like with comedy i also didn't realize with comedy if you um you're up you're up there improvising you're kind of writing i don't know if you've done stand-up too um you're writing Brief, right briefly, so, I, it was not for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but i came to that same i'm also in a film collective called we made movies which really really helped and empowered me um to uh just kind of like, like I said, just like Nike, just do it, just jump in. Everyone, I was surrounded by people who were just doing it, creating their stuff with little or nothing. Um, so I imagine it might've been similar with you. And I guess that's kind of how maybe the Apple sisters came to be. Um, do you want, if you would like, please tell us more about that. And do you still perform with them? Do you guys have any shows on the horizon and any other projects going on with them? Would you ever want to maybe see that move in onto the screen and oh way. we've TV tried we've okay. tried so many times <laughs> we, i mean you know it's we've been together for since 2006 was our first show february 14th 2006. Wow. We've been together for a long time we got together um because myself and rebecca johnson who i did glow with um we were the only women uh, faculty members at the time and we were the only two women performing at the time uh, and uh, they're like, you guys should do something together. Like, what? Because we're women? Fuck you. And then we're like, we actually love each other. So <laughs> this is fine. Yeah, we will. And then she knew this woman, Sarah Lowe, who was, uh, there was, the, unfortunately, I'm sh I'm not sure if, when you started improv, but there was like a time when there was just like one woman per team. So if you look at all the pictures, it's like one girl. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't really hang out or know each other until we decided to band together. So Rebecca, Sarah, and I got together and we said, what do we want to do? Well, 
we wanted to do something musical. We wanted to do something in the 1940s because the music, we could sing music, sing and dance unironically. Um, and we could uh, be satirical as well and make fun of uh, uh, what was going on in society um, with uh, cute red lipstick and uh, dresses. So we performed, since I, I met them in 2006, we did a brand new show every month. So a brand new half hour musical every month. So we wrote uh, three to four songs, a jingle and a full script every month. And it was, uh, it was wonderful. It was beautiful chaos because we were performing one show and working on the next show. So we do one, one show a week. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, we, uh, we had a lot of big breaks together. It, uh, we, we did the Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in 2008. And that is the thing where we got agents and managers from and uh, moved to LA. And we've, we got to perform uh, at uh, Conan and uh, we, we sang to Andy Richter. We, did, we were in Bridesmaids, our part got cut out, but, um, but we're on the Blu-ray DVD extra, so buy it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. That's a really awesome story. And so, I, I mean, and that must've been exceptionally empowering because like from something you all created that gave you a platform and gave you all the breaks, right? So. Yeah. Um, is did you would you guys also directing yourselves? Did you guys have an outside director, or was that like also practice for what you're doing now as a director? Um, uh, I mean, specifically with the Apple Sisters, we would usually we started bringing someone in because of choreography stuff. We just wanted to make sure that we were doing things at the same time. <laughs> but you know, Sarah would choreograph it, and uh, and we would kind of we would just like do bits like again like hearkening back to our earlier conversation about the Marx Brothers and uh, about singing in the rain it's like these okay we want to do a bit like this we have a big bit called pink wine I had this idea that we would just like drink wine and suddenly blow bubbles so <laughs> we, we we figured out this I like, figured out a song because um one day when we were on tour I just wandered in drunk into the hotel room and they're like what are you drinking Kim and I said uh just some pink wine <laughs> <laughs> That's we wrote a song called Everything is Fine Pink Wine. So uh, I wouldn't say that the Apple Sisters and maybe, maybe a little bit just like do, like figuring out bits together uh, or like working with actors how, how to self-direct, sure. But uh, I think most of the directing came from when I was working on solo shows uh, with this woman, Kirsten Ames. We were, she did Mark Maron's first solo show. And so she started a class in... New York City uh, above the Crane Theater uh, or the Crane Theater in, in uh, downtown or in the East Village. And um, so we would take people's real life stories and the, help them develop one person shows out of it. So mm. it, could be a, it could be a story, it could be a thought, it could be like something they were frustrated with and we would help develop half hour to hour long story. So I would work with storytellers, stand-up comedians and uh, that's where I really kind of got to like work on development and uh, directing more actively, you know, in addition oh, wow. to like sketches and theater that I had done separately. Okay. So you, you got into directing out of the acting uh, that you were doing. When you got into, was that something that was always on the horizon for you or did it kind of organically happen? Um, how did you get into the directing side of it? Uh, I know you did you did shorts and then you started directing television episodes and now with you know good on paper you've done features. How did the directing work into your uh, 
oeuvre of work. Oeuvre. <laughs> <laughs> and every episode, I try to get one or two big words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's work on a four-syllable word. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's do it, guys. Uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I mean, are you talking specifically about how it got into directing film or TV or directing like in general? Because you said, you know, if you're doing improv and acting and you're coming into this, you're going to New York, a lot of people go there because they want to pursue acting. Uh, and then, you know, I think a lot of actors come to directing either they've had a long acting career and then they want to start spreading their wings or they it starts earlier and they find, oh, they discovered this as a new way of a new creative outlet that maybe wasn't necessarily on the horizon or on the radar at first and then it becomes so for you i was curious how how it manifested itself yeah i, I don't think i necessarily i think the same thing with like i didn't know like i didn't know that it was a thing that i was already doing mm -hmm. um but working on sketches like i people would say like hey can you help me with my solo show or help me with my sketch or help me with my whatever i was directing them or i, I directed theater in college so i would say i started in in earnest in college my first play that i directed in college was the female version of the odd couple which um nice my professor told me they said how are you gonna make the odd couple funny with women and i was just like i know how dare they come on and and that i think that comment is as annoying as it was set off a, a series of events for me where i was so frustrated that people kept telling me that women weren't funny that i was just like well i'll show you and everything has been since that day well i'll show you like have they never seen an episode of i love lucy i mean i don't know I don't so, know. Like, did he ask that because he generally didn't so think now women can be, Yeah, did he generally think women can be funny? Or do you think the dynamic of that particular show was more geared towards the I men? don't know, but Neil Simon wrote it, rewrote it for women. So mm -hmm. it's not like it didn't exist and it was on Broadway. <laughs> right, right. I didn't understand. So, yeah, I think I... I, I Again, I think it, all of my directing came with frustration with uh, <laughs> acting or people telling me that it was impossible. And I, I, <laughs> it's fine. It's, you know, that's how just how how it works. Like I'm, I'm motivated when people say no, I'm like, I'll show you. <laughs> no, I think hey, it worked I, out great, huh? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think that's a common theme I hear with creatives, the whole idea of wanting to yeah, like you said, like wanting to show you, like. You, well, even I, I just found out that Agnes Varda, the the French director, she started because like there was no women doing French new wave films, and I'm like, mm. of course, like it makes sense, you know, when you like if you're gonna complain about it or if I'm frustrated by it, I want to do something about it if I mm -hmm. see if I see something. So, you know, it for me. I wasn't getting on the, at college, it was like being on the main stage or like, you know, getting to those off-Broadway roles. I was like, okay, well, I know, like I see those actors out there that aren't stars. I see the actors that are really good and, and just need a break. And I wanna be the person to kind of shepherd those people into uh, like more mainstream if I can, because I felt like I was so close to so many things and couldn't mm -hmm. really get there. So if I could be that person to give a, a good play space for actors and really, you know, see the people doing the hard work and provide more opportunities for 
you know, every, like just help diversify the palette of. Sure. <laughs> no, you know, for sure. And, you know, this idea of like women in media and the kind of challenges you face makes me think about uh, one of the shows you've directed on Girls 5 Eva. And which is one of my my favorite shows I've been watching. And uh, even before checking IMDb, I was watching it and I saw an episode where you were listed as the director. I'm like, oh, I'm interviewing her. I can't wait. This is cool. (laughs) I want to ask her about this show because, you know, for those, uh, I mean, the show is getting a lot of notoriety lately because it's just so well written and so funny. But, you know, it's about these, this, you know, this X 90s girl group who are now in their 40 something trying to make a go out of it again and their career gets reignited when a rapper samples one of their old songs whatever um but what <laughs> yeah but one of the, one of the themes i find really interesting and i would love for you to comment on as someone who's directed a couple of the episodes is this idea of the women in the in the, the characters in the show not forgetting like how for lack of a better word un pc some of their older songs were and how now in this new evolution of their career, they're trying to be more cognizant of the kind of work that they put out there. One, did that relate to you or connect or resonate with you as a woman in this industry? And if so, how, and how does that, you know, how do you, how, how do you think that show and that message falls on the people who are watching it? Maybe particularly the women in this industry. Well, uh, I think this, the show resonates with people because, you know, it's like getting a second chance, right? Mm. It's about that just because you, you know, grow up, you have kids, like there was this stigma for a long time that you're like, you become a mom, you disappear, you, you're over 40, sorry, too old, we don't have roles for you. Right. So to see like these women who are so funny at like the top of their comedy game all together and just crushing it you're like oh right like this is bit like i think like socially and um through throughout history it's it's been a time where people are usually thrown away or women are usually thrown away unless you're meryl streep <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah it's it's nice to just kind of address that and and also that you know that I mean, they're all like at a point in their life where, I mean, everybody's had, a, uh, when you get to a certain age, you may or may not have a midlife crisis that you're kind of questioning everything that you've done. And you're like, did I really give it my all? And uh, it's nice to, I, I just, I love that, like navigating grown up stuff. Cause you know, when you're in your twenties, like, you're just like, like, you don't think about sunscreen. <laughs> you just go out in the world. Eat, eat some delicious hamburgers and then just walk a mile and you're skinny again. <laughs> like, adulting at like 30, what, 30, 30 something. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, what you're saying about like reflecting back about all like the problematic stuff of the 90s, I think it's, you know, it's really like great to constantly be like, it's just showing like we're evolving, that art needs to evolve with the society so addressing that it was problematic and also like one of my favorite lines in one of the episodes she's like I don't want to sing daddy's hot friend again (laughs) 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 they're like oh my god I'm sure we're going to be looking back at this time and and find a lot of like what were we doing but 
you've come a long way and it's it is kind of fun it's kind of fun and cringy to watch I watch a lot of you know now that you can stream almost anything anytime I go back and I watch a lot of old 90s sitcoms and stuff and some of it holds up well and some of it's like Urkel's, <laughs> Urkel's creeping into Laura's bedroom at night while she's like sleeping like this is not okay this is so not okay <laughs> like a lot of like like teen boys just like lurking and you're just like oh my god he's so funny you're like no this is not consensual <laughs> not okay I remember watching that after and like and I just being like what what were they thinking <laughs> well um I also I, literally saw a sketch where it was a sketch or improvised scene where a woman over 40 could not be seen by the other 20 somethings on the stage. It was they were like literally cracking that joke, but that's right. Fine. They're just like improvising with each other. She's like, hello. Today's movies and TV shows operate in terabytes. So why do most file sharing providers cap data transfers to a couple hundred gigs? Modern filmmaking runs on massive files, and massive files called for massive transfer. Spelled M-A-S-V, massive is a file sharing solution for those who want to move heavy, uncompressed videos through the cloud without limits. No subscriptions, no complicated IT setups, Massive's pay-as-you-go model is designed to ship big files in record time at $0.25 per gig, and all you need is an internet connection. Sign up for Massive today using massive.io slash AOTF and get 100 gigabytes free towards your transfer. That's M-A-S-S-I-V-E dot I-O slash A-O-T-F as an art of the frame for 100 gigabytes of free transfer. Now, back to the show. You mentioned the film that you're working on now. That's a good segue. Like, what was what was the journey like bringing Good and Paper to life? And what was the transition like from directing television to directing a, a feature film? Well, this is my first narrative feature. I directed a documentary feature back in 2008. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I dipped my toes. Obviously, documentary is a way different beast. Sure. Um, uh, the film came to me through my agent, actually, they, uh, he sent it over and, uh, I knew Eliza and loved her comedy and, uh, I read the script and had to, you know, have a meeting, put together a lookbook, pitch universal, like the whole, the whole the, night, the whole thing. And, uh, I was uh, absolutely thrilled when I got the job. Um, uh, and and we were originally supposed to shoot the movie in Chicago in, it was 2019. Yeah, 2019. Uh, and then it got pushed to uh, uh, October and we got to do it in LA. And I don't know if you have had a chance to see it, but it's such an LA movie. I was thrilled that we could mm -hmm. do it in LA. Why <laughs> were you? Well, very fast. So mm -hmm. Uh, the, the push to Los Angeles was actually very helpful because Eliza and I could work on, the, we developed the feature a little bit more. We took that time mm -hmm. and uh, added some new scenes, you know, um, uh, worked on some of the characters' arcs, stuff like that. So. Mm -hmm. How did the various other actors kind of, were they already attached to it? Because I know Margaret Cho's in it and then some others. How did, how did, how did they come about? Was, did you go through a regular casting process or were some kind of already 
greenlit for lack of a better word to go along with the project well it was it was only eliza actually mm-hmm. was, uh, and then they brought me in to kind of like which was you know y- when you you know this when you when you get uh, a movie sometimes it'll have most of the actors sometimes right. it'll just have one sometimes it has absolutely none <laughs> right um but this was uh, eliza's story she was a star she wrote it for herself um and uh we uh brought in we have a we had a casting director um bonnie zane who's a friend of eliza's who's a a, a well-known casting director here in la and uh but uh with the parts you know we were trying to figure out like who could be this guy who was charming and um sweet but also like could play against type without you knowing exactly it was as soon as you meet him that he's like a, a bad guy you know so um I had worked with Ryan on a show called Bad Judge, short-lived show. <laughs> um, I played Kiki the bartender, and uh, and uh, he was one of the the series regulars. And it was really exciting to have him. Uh, he really wanted to dig into a role like this, and I just loved the idea that he uh, is really well known for being like this lovable goof. And then Margaret Cho, honestly, I can't believe she said yes, and it was the greatest thing ever. <laughs> um margaret uh a a funny story about margaret is i was working um for eddie izzard's uh booking agent at the time and so i was um this place called westbeth theater and i was booking at his travel and then the person took on margaret cho's show it was a burlesque show where she was like doing this wild um like raunchy burlesque show with like uh uh, little person strippers like uh, transgender performers um kelly played by liam sullivan if you remember shoes oh my god shoes i don't know if you remember <laughs> that at all and uh it's i so and then fun. she at the end gets completely naked and then has a giant penis hanging out so <laughs> that was <laughs> she actually gets completely naked yeah i mean she got like pasties on and stuff oh okay but, so it was amazing uh so you know she comes from stand-up comedy i think it was for, for me, I really wanted to keep the world authentic to Eliza's world, which is mm-hmm. stand-up comedy. Yeah. So, you know, Margaret being a stand-up comic and from the world and someone who's kind of been through it, she's a pioneer. She, you know, was the first uh, Asian-American woman with a sitcom. And, uh, uh, and she- I remember that. Yeah, and she, she like, she's the type of person who can smell out bullshit and also tell you like it is and also bring something really special and authentic to the part. Uh, and then Rebecca Rittenhouse, she was in Four Weddings at a Funeral um, and she, her and I have the same agents or agency. So uh, she was recommended to me by them and I just fell in love with her. She's so perfect and funny. And everybody was just like, yes, we love her. <laughs> and then the rest of the cast, you know, is a, um, people that either uh, I've like a lot of my friends from Glow came in, um, people I've known from the improv comedy scene. And uh, and then we had some really funny cameos, uh, which I, I had nothing to do with because I don't uh, know any Victoria's Secret models, but somebody did. Victoria's <laughs> <laughs> Secret model play, play a little bit part and then a Tyler Cameron from The Bachelor played a part. <laughs> oh, that was pretty, pretty funny and like, my my friends who are Bachelor Nation people were like, "This is the greatest." <laughs> really strong following, a, a, a tight fan base. 
So real, a real good move, good move to get them in. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean, you know, the casting process, it wasn't your traditional like have people reading and mm-hmm. and uh cast from there. It was very much just um assemble the troops kind of casting. Right. Are there any are there any stories or lessons from the set that you took away? Huh. Um I mean the this the process for this film, uh the director Claire Scanlon gave me some great advice, which was like, you know, have a read through and then, you know, have people just throw out jokes uh at the read through if it, if they see any opportunity for punch ups or jokes. And so I employed that with our script. And so we had just like so we had we had alts if we needed them, or you know, we had just punch up jokes uh for this and i i thought that that was a really great piece of advice that um i would definitely use on every future feature film mm-hmm. I, the brain trust is very helpful <laughs> do you have a, did you have a question tiana yeah you um you've directed a feature before the documentary that you mentioned and but this is your first narrative feature um did you feel super ready for this was it like yes I got this I'm all good it's all great or were you at all intimidated were you all nervous were you just um neutral (laughs) well I I was really ready for it um it's you know it's uh there there definitely becomes a time when you've directed enough like uh sketches or music videos that you're just like I just want to tell a bigger story I want to like I, I want to see, it's like writing a novel, you know, versus a magazine, which is, I feel like television is magazine, novel is film. And then uh, the web videos are, I don't know, advertisements. <laughs> yeah. Um, jo- jokes that you find on the back of bubblegum wrappers. <laughs> is that if we're working? I don't know. <laughs> I like the popsicle stick jokes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I was ready for it. I was really ready for it. And I was really excited to do it. Um, and uh, I had done a, a interactive series called Timeline a couple uh, the, the year before, which was a 180 page script with multiple outcomes. So I had to, I was, I was ready to go. I was like, if I can do that, I can definitely yeah. confidently shoot a feature. If I've done eight different timelines of like, <laughs> of a scene. Yeah. I can do one, I can confidently do one narrative story. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, that's great that you were like ready and you, you know I mean it probably shows I, I didn't I haven't had a chance to watch it yet but I'm sure very soon yes yes <laughs> yeah. um I saw in an interview you did that you mentioned that you like a director who's efficient I was curious to know like how do you how does how do you create a set that's efficient for you as a director what are um, the things that you do you know, it's all in prep, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I like to, I, I like, to, I wouldn't say over communicative, I just say regular communicative. <laughs> but I, I have a pretty specific shot list and plan. And usually, uh, I'll go over that with my AD and my DP. So before I even set up, walk foot on set with the actors, and, um, you know, I'll make sure that we know our plan. And if something has changed, then we just change it in the beginning. We're like, we don't have time for this. Let's do this. This is just, you know, time. Like if we have time, we'll do that one. But 
I think efficiency is knowing what you need and what you want. And if there's time for play, allowing it, but also just knowing when it's time to move on because there is, again, a bigger picture that you're painting. And so you don't want to get caught up in like, like I, I, when I just came back from pandemic, uh, you know, back on set, like I got caught up in a wide shot and I was like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> why am I spending so much time on this? It's cold. I'm not going to use it. <laughs> like, what am I doing? So it's just like, you know, reminding yourself, like, what is the actual meat of the scene? And, uh, and, and honoring that because the you that's on set is not as smart as the you that was in prep talking mm-hmm. about it the you on set is like getting lost uh in like panic maybe somebody has a great idea but you're like no me who thought about this and knows what the edit looks like is much smarter than dumb me right now <laughs> as as a as a director in your directing experience have you ever being a woman in this industry have you ever felt any um Either, either pushback or hesitancy at your leadership on set because you know a director really has to have a sense of I know th- I know what I want I know where I'm going uh has it have have you ever had that sense as a as, do I, as a do director? I walk on set and I'm like I'm on my period <laughs> <laughs> I'm grouchy <laughs> or, or or feeling like you had to be you had to overcompensate in order to get the kind of respect that maybe a a man would get as a director. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, I got over this pretty quickly. I think just because, um, uh, after I had a child, I was like, I don't have time for anything. Let's just do this. (laughs) But, um, uh, there was definitely a element of probably why I didn't step in like more aggressively into, directing is because I feel like I didn't know the lingo or the equipment because I didn't go to film school or theater school so I felt like I was deficient in an area and I was like well I have to know everything first before I set, set foot on step and uh it's one of the first pieces of advice I give to young female directors is like I'm like don't worry about it they're called the director of photography that's not your job you'll eventually catch on and it's important to try to get to know but you don't know everything the cameras and the lenses like the cameras change every year don't worry about it so I think that that was probably like where the insecurity came from at at first you know and and I'm I try to take away you know a lesson from every job that I do and I gain more confidence and you know I think as uh I, I would just you know my first job I would just shoot everything that was on the page without saying like I think we don't have time for this but now now uh having worked in television for uh, a couple of years now I've done six episodes of television this year so um I I can say confidently say like this this is not this is, we can't make this day but we can make this day so and it, this is what you need for the story and this is what you don't need so uh, I don't know if I sufficiently answered your question, but yeah, no. I think I think maybe early on in the beginning, uh, just getting into it. But once I was on set, uh, everything everything changes. So yeah, but I've had a couple of like, you know, early on a couple of kind of jerks. <laughs> what <laughs> wouldn't do? The, I know. I know that seems so. That's what I've heard of. <laughs> Not everybody is super nice. <laughs> Believe you. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we've touched on this a couple of times, um, being a woman in the industry. You talked about it in in um, in comedy and, and now in, in film and directing, but in front of the camera, behind the camera. 
how do you feel about that question or that that label, that branding? Do you is it a conversation we need to continue? I think maybe in some ways it is, but how do you feel about that branding? Or do you think it's time to kind of move away from that of like how you know woman even this question like how is it being a woman in the industry or versus just okay uh Kimmy Gatewood's a director and that's it like um, yeah it would I you know especially early on in my career I just wished people would just look at me as a comedian or look mm. at me as an actor and I wish there I always thought it was weird that there was actor and actress but not director and directress I was like, <laughs> like why what is that all about editor editress um I've been saying actor from the beginning I was like actor, yeah. actor encompasses everything anyway but I I think as I've you know uh been in the industry longer I'm okay like I'm okay being a representative as as a female <laughs> and I think until like you know the Gene Davis Institute does a bunch of studies about you know gender in Hollywood and you know uh that how few women directors are something like under 10 percent of some like studios have female directors at the, the top and, and I think until like I'm happy to keep continue to advocate for female stories female filmmakers until we kind of get to a point where we're Maybe I could just be a director. That would be so cool. I'll be 80 years old and be like, director, Kimmy Gatewood. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, it not take that long, but maybe it'll take longer. Who knows? Um, but yeah, no, I get it. It's 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 necessary, right? It's a necessary, it's kind of a maybe it's kind of annoying and nuisance, but you're it's it's necessary and you're willing to 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 hold the baton or wear the mantle, whatever, until Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm okay with it. I you know, I know that I'm I've uh I, I I should probably do more studying even and know more statistics, but but for now I'm like happy to um, you know, at least uh be be the token female director that they hire every now and again in there <laughs> until until we can until they're like, you know what? She's just good like for a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> so they forget your yeah, yeah. like like the I don't know if you've seen the SNL sketch about Beyonce where they're like, she's black. <laughs> the realization yeah maybe that'll happen one day <laughs> for it's... for women <laughs> no I'm, I'm i'm happy i'm happy to talk about it. i have a daughter so i'm also you know very hopeful that um you know i can continue to pave the path for the future guys because what are we doing this <laughs> she says with a dimple uh, <laughs> yeah you, uh, and you even touched on something else there which was like oh I, th I should probably know more stats which is like yeah well that's a whole nother conversation and how much of the onus is on the person or the people that are like on the margins to then educate everyone else or you know that's very true you know what I don't need to know stats <laughs> Why don't you know more stats? Why don't you know more stats? <laughs> Let the interns do that. No, 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 they're on the margins too. Oh God. <laughs> Cannot get it right. No. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned SNL, Tiana. That's a good segue because one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Kimmy, you had, uh, I saw in an interview where you said, uh, you had once got a, an audition for SNL, which was great, but you didn't get, you didn't get the part, whatever it was that you were auditioning for. What? Oh, it was to be a cast member. On to be a cast Saturday. member, right, right. So uh, yeah, what was yeah. that, like, what was it like getting it? What was it like preparing and doing it? And then, you know, when you didn't get it, did you, were there any lessons you took away from that experience? Uh, how it feels to get your soul crushed is one lesson. <laughs> 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 uh, 
it's a very distinct feeling. Yeah. Uh, I um. So I, it's in my dream since I was a child to be mm. on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. I've done. I like all, in all of my uh, like presentations. They would always be Mary Catherine Gallagher or Coffee Talk or, or <laughs> Wayne, Wayne and Garth. Like all of my high school to college presentations were Saturday Night Live based. Um, so I really wanted to do it. I was doing the Apple Sisters at the time. Uh, and uh, uh, I, what you do is you send in a tape for Saturday Night Live. So I was doing a solo show. So I did all of my characters for my solo show mm. um, in the tape and I sent it in. I got a callback, which was very exciting. So then yeah. they're like, you're gonna go to uh, the comic strip live at some point on Tuesday. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so then they, oh no, they didn't even tell me where I was going. They said, you're going to go, you'll have your call back at some time on Tuesday between six and nine or something like that. Mm. And then I get a phone call or go to the comic strip live. You have to be there at 7 p.m. This is like 5 30. Got a cab, went to comic strip live. Um, the host says, He's on stage. He goes, okay, we're going to do something a little different to the live audience that didn't know what was happening. They're like, we're going to have some ladies do some characters for you. <laughs> so oh, jeez. Me, <laughs> me and uh, Michaela Watkins was there and uh, a couple other well, women. One woman was barfing in the, uh, the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, it was quite a sight. This is like everybody's dream job, you know? Right. Uh, and uh, uh, luckily, two of my friends were available, so they got to watch it and like, like killed it nailed it uh and i got a test which means you go to the 8h studio where they do the monologue wow. and perform your characters again and uh you know got my makeup done uh will forte came in and said good luck you know and uh i was in andy sandberg's dressing room waiting for three hours wow. uh for my audition my test and i got there on stage um and uh they said they're not gonna laugh and of course they laughed and i was like Oh God! <laughs> I know. I was like, you can't win. Um, so, spoiler alert: I didn't get it, but uh, I got some very nice uh, emails from like the head writer at the time and nice. other people who they were like, we really, really wanted you to do it, you know. But um, so it was, it was, it was hard. It was a hard phone call to get. To, mm-hmm. to not, I, it's all I ever wanted, and it, I was kind of wondering, like, I didn't know what I was meant to do after that. Hmm. after not getting that and they, they were like you can try again next year but my heart wasn't in it I felt so crushed yeah um and so it took a, a like probably a year for me to kind of like really I moved to LA and I, and I was just working at like the city bakery making $15 an hour my boss was 19 it was quite a time <laughs> <laughs> I was like 30 you, know? you need to make a show about that Kimmy yeah. that, <laughs> that sounds great hey, listen city bakery I have some great stories from there Arnold Schwarzenegger was governor at the time and I uh got to serve him he's like i was like what, do you, what would you like sir he's like i'm like a macchiato and i was like okay. <laughs> accent yeah and then and then i gave it to him and he goes this macchiato is so small the economy must be bad <laughs> wow talking about his own yeah. well, actually, well i remember going to europe and getting a coffee for the first time in europe and like because coffees in europe are so small and unless you go to like like you know one of their chains uh you know like costa or starbucks or something but you go to any regular european coffee shop especially in italy like a regular cup is like this tiny and it costs five euros or some ridiculous amount and um 
But I, I usually end with a series of uh, speed round questions. But I wanted to make sure, Tian, did you have any other questions before I ask her my speed round questions? Um, oh, no, like no more questions, God. Your Honor. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to, I wanted to ask something super funny, but go ahead. I don't know. I don't. No, I don't have anything. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you got that joke question, you hit it. No, yeah, right. I need to break some improv. All right, all right. Speed round question: uh, A guilty pleasure television show or movie that you have? Uh, the Wedding Singer. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. I don't know if I have to call that a guilty pleasure. I think that's a. This pretty, is a good one. I think it's just a really. I think so. All right, top Maybe. chef. <laughs> okay, good. That's a good. That's great. <laughs> I love it. Um, the last thing that you saw a movie or television show that surprised you and why? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, the mayor of East Town. East Town. Oh, okay. I, 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 I thought it was, I thought it was totally awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd heard like some people loved it. Some people hated it. And uh, I think what surprised me the most, is just like how rich her character was and mm -hmm. just how messy and um, the like wonderful, uh, or like her just that Kate Winslet who's like the most beautiful woman in the world Titanic style like mm -hmm. she she's really crafted quite a career for herself and I think that 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 story was just uh I for me I took away a lot of character studies from that rather than the story I thought the story was pretty good but it was really the character studies that were the most surprising yeah if you could uh the last period round ones if you could collaborate with anyone on a film who would it be and why Oh boy. Um, I would love, uh, I, I would love to work with Catherine O'Hara. Oh, she'd be amazing. I, I would love to find a role for her that, uh, I don't know, that would make her a badass, mm -hmm. like, like, uh, Jean Spartan hacks, you know? Oh like my gosh. That Jean Spartan is just like the queen of HBO. Just give oh, her all the she, awards. She's everything. She is yeah. everything. Yeah, and I think she's just so funny. Her comedy chops are uh, incredible. It would be yeah. fun to work with yeah. her on something. Yeah. Well, this has been amazing. Uh, I can talk to you so much longer because you're, you're, I love your energy. I love the stuff that you're doing. I can't wait to see what you do next. What is next for you? Is there something you can say that you're working on now? Yeah, That's I'm going to work on some television um, mm -hmm. soon. I'm going to go uh, do an episode of Single Drunk Female on Freeform. Nice. Um, and uh, work with uh, Ali Sheedy, who's in it. Which is oh, really cool. Funny. Rebecca Henderson from mm -hmm. uh, Leslie Headland in the pilot, which I love. Um, and uh, and I'm going to go do a show called The Big Leap, a new Fox show that's coming out. Uh, nice. A dance show, which uh, love me some dance. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so those are the things that are coming up right after this. And uh, uh, just, just, I hope everyone watches good on paper and so that I can continue to direct movies. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. We'll, we'll definitely do many, many more. Yeah. Um, and today's day and age, just go out, make your own and, and put it's it It's true. I, I have a short out on the festival circuit right now called Naval Gazers. It's mm. about a world. Um, I was inspired when my, my girl, little girl was born. I, she drew a picture of a jellyfish and I was like, this is amazing. And I looked over to my husband and uh, my father-in-law and I was like, mm. look, and then they were just both in their phones, just like this. Oh, and I just geez. like got a picture all of a sudden of a world in which we're all hunching over. And so it's about a world in which our people's spines have permanently hunched. Oh my <laughs> so we're, wow. in, we're actually physically 
uh, we need our screens to survive. And it's been really, it was a fun world to kind of create. I love the movie Her. I love, uh, yes. you know, any, anything like Brazil, like Brazil, like anything that kind of deals with this kind of bizarre world. So was there was an era of era. There was an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. That was very much like that. Um, uh, who is in that? For, I can't remember who's in it. But was it Jesse Plemons? Because he's the greatest. <laughs> no, no, he was in this. It was the one where it was a social media world, and everyone gets each other points and stuff. Mm. And um, it came out a few years ago. That still remains like one of my favorite episodes of that of that because it was such a great commentary. Yeah, on, it's like uh, everyone. You have to have uh, high ratings. Yes, to, like survivor exist in that world. Yes. What's uh, it's Ron Howard's daughter? Yes, it was Grace yes. Dallas Howard. Yes, Grace Dallas Howard was the was the main uh, lead, lead in that episode. In that episode, yeah, exactly. Uh, awesome. Um, but. Again, I want to be respectful of your time. This was great. Thank you so much, Kimmy. I appreciate your time. This is gonna. This was. This was fun. Uh, I can't wait to see what you do you next. Know, thank you so much for having me. It was so yeah. fun to chat. Fun stuff. That was. I like. I like the questions you had. And the follow up that you had. One question I didn't get to, but I was going to ask, was. Um, but it was kind of related to the whole women thing was because she has her hair. Obviously, people can't see this. Her hair is like short and bleach blonde and short mm -hmm. on the sides, long on the top. And your hair is kind of similar, like short on the sides, long on the top. And I kind of feel like how women carry their hair in the industry is mm -hmm. there's so much there's more emphasis on it than how guys do. Has that been something you've noticed? And if so, like I was going to ask her about it, but we we're running out of time. I didn't think it was that important. So I forget. Oh, I'll just ask Tiana about it in the follow-up. About that. I think that is true. I've heard that in politics. I think it's true for women in the world for some oh, reason. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Society feels, both men and women, I, we've just been um, kind of raised to believe it's okay to just comment on women's looks and their appearances, yeah. how they dress, how they carry themselves, et cetera. But, um, and to be fair, I'm not a man. So I don't have the experience of being a man to know right. um, what that's like uh, and, and, and how much your appearance is commented on by people or women. But generally mm -hmm. speaking, it seems to be a lot more with women. Um, uh, Kimmy and I both have experiences as, as actresses as well. So yeah, I think that's even more that exactly. That's just a part of that. And, and I think actor, uh, as an actor, it's, whether you're a man or woman, that's going to be a part of it. But always, it seems to be a bigger deal for women, right? Mm -hmm. the, whether it's hair, uh, looks, appearances. Uh, mm -hmm. I know actresses who go out and get uh, makeup tutorials uh, because you know that'll get them uh, better auditions if they have those the makeup done a certain way in their headshots. Right. And then in the auditions, they'll get more likely to get callbacks, etc. If they have their they make up done a certain way. Um, and I don't, I know that's not something men have to worry about. And I right. know, um, and yeah, the whole just appearance, whether, you know, weight, height, all of that. Um, but yeah, that is absolutely a thing. Um, no, it, I mean, in, uh, in my first episode of this new, of, of crossing the 180, um, the first one for this like new era on, on, um, the art of the frame network uh when i interviewed valentina v she had a whole story about uh there was a adobe master ad that 
Adobe yeah. put out because she's one of the few people. She's one of the few Adobe masters, and she's like the only one who's not an employee of Adobe that's a video master. And so here's this, you know, empirically amazing shooter, editor, cinematographer, director, and she's in this ad. And this particular ad that Adobe put out got all of these. Every comment on that ad was a negative comment or some comment about her appearance. Yeah, I, and, and I remember. Yeah there were these assumptions, you know, I listened to that episode, there were these assumptions that because she was a woman, you know, she was just kind of like either like just an actress posing as someone who knew what they were doing, or if she did kind of know, she didn't know that much, or it was like, they were, they were like critiquing like, oh, you wouldn't do that, you know, the way she was holding her hand, like, if you were really like editing, but, and yet she is in fact, a master, right? A master right. of craft. So no, exactly. Um, yeah, and 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 you wonder, you wonder, but then you kind of know that if that were a man in that ad, they wouldn't. No way. That wouldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, like I never. Yeah, you never hear of stories like that of men, and even now, sometimes I'll go to a YouTube uh, video of a female filmmaker, a woman filmmaker, and oftentimes I'll see comments on her looks versus like what she's actually what she's actually doing or teaching Mm, and yeah yeah, I mean you know your I thought your question was a good one about whether or not like whether women filmmakers are tired of the question how does it feel being a woman filmmaker and Mm -hmm. I'm kind of of different roles because I've because a few years ago I had a woman in filmmaking series and I remember one of the guests that I interviewed she she specifically brought that up and she said that she she first said she's kind of tired of the question but then i was talking to her some more and i was saying i can understand that but then there's this idea of young girls coming up seeing themselves portrayed or seeing other women doing the kind of things you want to do and i think through that conversation she kind of like changed her mind she got to the point where she kind of felt like it was still an important conversation to have and you know, you and I both being, you know, black people in this country, you could say the same about race. race. Yeah. Like, you know, am I a black filmmaker or am I just a filmmaker? Am I a black podcaster or am I just a podcaster? And I still I still think there is room and space to have the conversation. But I do understand it's yeah. it's nuanced. I do understand the frustration. Yeah, we have to hopefully we just start moving in the direction where we can just be, you know, I'm I'm a I'm a black woman who is a filmmaker, creator, actor, whatever. Right. Um, and hopefully move to that just where I'm just, I'm just a filmmaker, just a creator, just an actor. But yeah, I, I agree with Kimmy that the a conversation is still needed. Um, you make a good point about, you know, young women, young girls being able to look out and see um, what they, what they can dream of mm-hmm. becoming. Right. For me growing up and seeing Halle Berry at one point being the highest paid actress in Hollywood was huge you know and then I had yeah yeah, and and just I had so many other great um black actresses to look up to um as I was forming this dream of becoming a black actress you know Mm -hmm. um from Sanaa Lathan, Gabrielle Union, obviously Angela Bassett was Mm -hmm. uh, a huge deal you know in our is is a huge deal in our community all of them are um so that's nice um and then just going back to the whole woman in the industry it's like yeah you it, the ideal is to just be whatever it is, actor, director, creator. Um, but also 
I think others in the industry, people who are not just young girls and young women, but I think peers, people who are mm -hmm. fellow collaborators or uh, industry executives need to see like, hey, women can do a damn good job, you know? Right. Yeah. So, and, you know, they're out there, they are, they want to work, they can do well, they can do as, you know, they can be as good or better than, uh, you know, the men. So yeah, I think that's also important as well. Although you could argue that we've been having these conversations for so long and it's just mm -hmm. like, what, what will it take to change? I remember Bridesmaids, mm -hmm. you know, and the big splash that that made. And it was like, yes, things are going to change now. And they, they, they really didn't, you know, you thought they were going to change for actors, women, actors, women, or? for women, for women, um, because mm -hmm. it was an all female cast of mm -hmm. women in comedy specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, written by women, a woman, uh, a woman, I, I don't know who wrote it to be quite honest, but yeah. um, and then I think it might've been directed by a woman. Too. I think sure. Paul, I thought Paul Fee directed that one. I'll have to check. Yeah, probably. But, anyway. but um. In any case, it was just like it was going to be this thing, so that more women, like yeah, in lead roles yeah. in com comedy, uh, would would we would just see more of that. We would just see more uh, movies helmed by women, or like, or at least with women in the in front of the camera, right? With maybe an all female cast again, right? And that really hasn't happened, right? Mm. So, or, or it didn't happen. It's I think things are getting better, but much more slowly than. We thought there was this whole big splash and these all these conversations were happening about you know uh women in comedy you know being able to carry a film and it doing really well at the box office you know and then yeah i don't know that we saw many after that for whatever yeah. reason yeah, yeah. and it, i liked her point about like you don't call a female director a directress or an editress or a female writer or writress. So why do you call a, a woman actor an actress? Um, I, I had never thought about that. I thought that was, that was a good- It's a great point. It's actually yeah. a really great point. And I, but I, I don't know for a number of reasons, I think I know why actually, and that's coming back to me. I mm -hmm. very early in my career decided that I just wanted to be called an actor. And I think it's because I wanted to, if I were gonna be, it, my hope was to one day be uh, critically acclaimed, right? And if I was going to be, I didn't want to just be the best actress. I wanted to be the best actor. That means comparing me to both men and women and saying, you know, she's great and mm -hmm. and uh, among among everyone. Right. So that was my thing when I was coming up. I was like, no, I'm gonna whenever I put it in a bio or put it in a whatever on a in a pamphlet leaflet whatever i'm going to put actor you know if i introduce mm. myself i'll say actor you know and i've always done that but she brings up a great point you know other in this conversation we just had a number of times you used the term actress instead of actor i did huh yeah did, just now <laughs> good good looking out good calling me out because you know i've kind of i guess i've definitely gotten away from that so <laughs> i yeah. made that this and i made that like conscious decision but then i but you know it's like a hard habit to break right you know, for so many years, you grow up hearing something one way and then kind yeah. of learn from it the other way. Um, well, I definitely appreciate you um, co-hosting this episode with me. Love to have you back, ask some good questions. Like where, where can people find more about, find you online? 
Are you findable online? Do you do I the socials? Am. What's your TikTok? <laughs> what's your TikTok account? Now that I don't do, <laughs> I'm not that cool. Sorry. <laughs> But um, but thank you for having me. And yeah. uh, you know what? I got my socials back in the day before um, I knew what I was doing. So everything's <laughs> different. It's not. I wish I could say it's just at Tihana on on Instagram, Twitter, right. Facebook, whatever. But it's not. It's it's all complicated. It's all wonky. But so on Twitter, I'm at actually at Tineha, T E N E H A. On on Instagram, um, I'm Fatima Tihana, F A T I M A T E H A N A. On Facebook, I think you can find my uh, my actor page as uh, right. Tihana Fatima Weeks. Um, now, aren't so, yeah, you able to? Is Tihana not available on Twitter now? Because you could always like because always it's, change it. You know, I should have done that years ago. It can. probably is. There are some, believe it or not, there are other Tihanas in the world. There's, I think there's right. a famous Korean like okay. singer or something who's a Tihana. I looked. I've looked this up a couple times. I've well, not looked into whether my handle is available. Um, yeah. But yeah, but as soon as I realized, you know, social media was going to be more of a thing, especially in the industry, I should have like gone and changed everything. Yeah, man, grab it. So grab it. There's a if you Google Ron Dawson, there's this image of me that gets connected to this like 70 plus year old guy. I have no idea how to change it. It's on Wikipedia. Like there's enough of myself out there where most of the things that come up have the right picture and the right bio, but there's just one that because it's Wikipedia always floats to the top. So every now and then I get this email saying, oh, I didn't know you were a 17 year, 72 year old doctor or whatever <laughs> the hell it is. Cause they have the wrong photo connected to, anyway, I don't know why I brought that up. Anyway. Is there no way to uh, reach out to Wikipedia? I'm sure you've tried, but. Yes, but it's not Wikipedia, it's Google. So it's like on this, it's, it's on the search page of Google. So Google oh. is like grabbing the, hmm. it's grabbing the, my picture but it's combining it with the, the, Wikipedia, uh, the Wikipedia entry of this article. other guy. Yes. Okay. Well, any listeners out there who yes. know how to fix this problem. If you work for Google, tell them to get their shit straight. Yes. Yeah. Anyone who knows how to fix this. Yeah. Anyone, if you, yeah, exactly. Please. If you work for Google, come on. Come on. Come on. Get their picture. All right. Thanks, out. Tiana. It's been great having you. Crossing the 180 is a production of Blade Runner Media and part of Pro Video Coalition's Art of the Frame podcast series. This episode was produced, written, edited, and hosted by yours truly, Ron Dawson. Special thanks to my co-host, Tihana Weeks, and of course, for our guest of honor, Kimmy Gatewood. Good on Paper is playing now on Netflix, and you can watch Girls 5 Eva on the Peacock TV network. I promise you won't be sorry. For additional links and resources, including the guest's website and samples of her work, check out the blog post for this episode at ProVideoCoalition.com. You can follow me on Twitter and the gram at BladeRonner, that's Reiner with an O, and you can follow ProVideoCoalition on Twitter at Twitter.com slash ProVideo. That's it for now. Until next time, remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. Be safe out there, people.